of fear where, okay, I'm engaged. I can, I, can, I can get out of this if I need to. But he's saying, marry me. Trust me on the most deepest levels. Those pockets of fear, like when that really bad thing happens that day, I'm, I'm, I'm like so done. I'm out of here. But he's saying he will be with you in your darkest hour. He's never going to go, okay, I'm done. <laughs> I can't deal with that mess. He'll never say that. He says, marry me. Don't be afraid to let that secret part of your heart be attached to him because he's attached to you all the way. I say yes. <laughs> Do you have a yes in your spirit today? Do you say yes? You can go ahead and be seated. Thank you, guys. Jesus, I love you. You all can go. Come and dance. It's okay. 
such a beautiful word, a blessing for us today that I want us to hear and receive. The Spirit of the Lord had come upon me and up within me um, to um, create this message, this day, these messages. The Lord is speaking. The Lord is speaking to the church. The Lord is speaking to this house. And I want to talk today about the stories we tell ourselves. The stories that we tell ourselves. My text will be from John 4, um, if you're following along. I really encourage you to open your heart. Uh, would love for the band to come all the way up. Like I would love Sarah to be up here in the front uh, row. Uh, just come on up, and I just believe that that the Lord is speaking to every heart in the house, and I want you to open up and hear what the Spirit would say to you specifically, to you particularly, to you um, individually. John 4, uh, I'm going to read from the Bible. Okay, everybody cool? I'm going to read from it, okay? Um, With my glasses, hallelujah. Starting in verse 1, Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, Though Jesus himself did not baptize but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee. But he needed to go through Samaria. So he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Would you give me a drink? For his disciples had gone away from the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Verse 10, Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it was who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Everybody say living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as well as his sons and his livestock? And Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst, but the water that I shall give him will become in him. Everybody say, in him. Will become in him a fountain of water, springing up into everlasting life. 
The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst, nor come here to draw. Jesus said to her, Go and call your husband and come back. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You have rightly said, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. In that, you spoke the truth. Say, speak the truth. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. Jesus said to her, My dear woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. But the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Everybody say, speak the truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. And the woman said to him, I know the Messiah is coming. When he comes, he will tell us all the truth. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. And at this point, his disciples came and they marveled that he was talking with the Samaritan woman, yet no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? The woman then left her water pot, went her way into the city and said to the men, come and see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came to him. In the meantime, his disciples urged him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat of which you do not know. Therefore the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him anything to eat? I thought he was waiting on us. Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of the one who sent me. Do not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest. Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white for harvest. I want to talk to you today about the stories we tell ourselves. I find it interesting that it is Jesus who reveals the undesirable parts of the woman's story that day. And not to disgrace her. I also find it interesting that as she becomes a witness and an evangelist to what has been spoken to her, she uses the phrase, come and hear a man who has told me everything that I have done. Do you find it interesting that they center up on the fact that it's Jesus the prophet who tells her all that she has done, who reveals a part of her story she is too embarrassed to share. And it is in that telling of the truth that they identify the anointing. Why is it the part of the encounter with Jesus where he tells it plain, he speaks the truth, he reveals it all? Why is this the part of the encounter that makes her feel so inspired that she runs back home and tells everyone? 
not describing how he perhaps told her the origins of the universe or how everything works or what her purpose was in life. It wasn't that fact that so inspired her. It was the fact that he told her all the truth about herself. I would mention here that she is at the well at midday, a time of day when the other women had already come. The group of women would come early in the morning to draw water for their household. This woman, however, has come to the well alone in the heat of the day. I would submit to you that this woman was acting out of rhythm with her community out of time and out of sync with her peers. And that would be most, and what would be most healthy for her and for her house, she was not part of the others. She was not part of the friend group who did the daily chores together. She decided instead to stay separate most likely so that she would not have to feel the disapproval from the other women. Most likely so that she wouldn't have to talk and risk disclosing her pain or leaking her true feelings about her life, her past or her present. It was safer to stay alone. This woman was not interested in being with others, walking with the others, being seen by others or communicating with others. She wasn't even interested in doing her daily work with the others. This remote working arrangement suited her just fine. So that she didn't have to speak, she didn't have to be seen. She was alone at the well that day in the midday in the hot sun when along came the sun. I know many women like her women who have made brave and bold choices that they alone understand why, women who have made choices that no one else understands and that cost them dearly. We are all born with courage. The Bible says that God has not given us a spirit of fear or timidity, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. The root of the word for courage is core. It comes from the Latin heart. The Latin word for heart is core. In one of its earliest forms, the word courage meant to speak one's mind or one's story with one's whole heart. Courage is a heart word. Courage is to tell our whole story with our whole hearts. The problem is we have stories that make up our lives, but we orphan many of these stories because they don't fit with who we think we are supposed to be. The ironic thing is our worthiness, our wholeness, our connectedness lives inside of the darkest stories of our lives. The not-so-pretty stories are where the gifts of wholeness, healing, 
and worthiness arise. Brene Brown says it this way, you either own your story or you stand outside of it and you hustle and pretend and try for your worthiness. When you deny a story, that story has the power to define you. But when you own a story, you get to co-write the ending. God for all ages and with whom anyone will dare to trust God with their story and allow it to be told, to be seen, to be heard, has always been turning tragedy into a story worth telling. The outcast woman at the well that day before her encounter with herself at the well with whom I'm going to reference as the midwife redeemer, Jesus. The one who had the great pleasure of midwifing her soul back to life. The one who had the pleasure of showing her that even the most undesirable parts of her story were worth redeeming that hot day in the middle of the day alone. The outcast woman that day, before her encounter with herself, said that she did not want to interact with anyone for fear. The text said that after her encounter, she left her water jar, forgetting what the task was at hand, and ran to tell everyone what had happened to her, saying, he told me everything I ever did. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said about what he said to you. But now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Redeemer. We're no longer taking it on your word. But because of what you dared to say about the truth of your own life, we now are inspired about our own. And we have come to believe I work with people of all ages and all backgrounds of life. People who come to me for simple professional networking soon find themselves sharing more than they anticipated sharing. I had one such encounter this week, and before I knew it, the woman was sharing with me something about her life that she hadn't heard herself say ever before and quickly caught herself as if lifting up the bucket from the well and saying, wait, 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 is this what you pastors do, get people to talk more than they're ready? I became very self-conscious, actually. I wasn't very brave at the moment. I said, oh my goodness, I didn't mean to trap you. <laughs> wasn't my intention. Which is, well, people don't normally listen. They're not interested in the truth of my life, and I'm fine to share it, but I just don't normally have occasion to do so. 
I work with people of all ages and all backgrounds. And retelling the pains and the praises of one's childhood is a common theme that I see over and over again in people, whether they're 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90 years old, as old as Sarah Watson here. You just really kind of on the older side, you know. No matter what the age, if you're new to the house, that's an inside joke that we have running with Sarah Watson. I hear from people of all ages, especially in the 80s and 90s, they still reference their childhood. Sometimes even more. A childhood, their family of origin, the pains and the praises of their childhood those pains and praises that are still informing their daily activities and their relationships at present. I want to talk a little bit more about what I'm trying to get over to you today. One's family of origin or one's mindset about the family of origin was intended to be a temporary holding place to launch you into a life where you would then be shaped and formed and designed by the spirit of your life, the spirit of God. Through a mindset about a time in one's life might provide temporary benefits of holding on and clinging to the stories of our childhood that might provide us some self-justification or self-righteousness or self-pity for why things are the way things are and why we've done what we have done and why it didn't and why it hadn't. And a temporary holding place was never meant to be our designated destination. We should aim not to use temporary transition places as permanent residences. Your family of origin was there for a reason. Someone in your house did enough things right to get you here where you are today but they may not have given you everything that you needed. But they did enough right to get you up and going. And we would do well today to not make permanent residences out of temporary transitions. We would do well today to allow the mindsets that once served us to explain why and how we are today the way we are. We would do well to let them go. I feel the presence of the midwife redeemer in the house today that wishes to transition us through to adopt and receive the mindset of freedom and courage and bravery to tell the stories of our life with full truth, bearing our souls one to another, 
that they might also experience the midwife redeemer and believe for themselves personally the one who can tell you your whole life's story and use every part to redeem, revive. I don't believe there's a wasted part in our lives. The most painful and the most tragic, I believe, can be our greatest triumph. Bless you. Whitney, if you would come, and if someone would turn the air down just a little bit. <laughs> I, see the fan, I see the mothers in the house doing...